Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Well, howdy folks. You're at Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. God's grace and peace be unto you and yours. So glad you're here with me today. Uh, as I was considering the topic for this week's podcast, I know I hear from some of you folks and every now and then you like for me to share stories and testimonies of our of our past, our ministry. Um, I think it kind of encourages you all. So uh, today I was uh, contemplating uh, my own father's salvation, which was <laughs> a miraculous uh, testimony on how God uh, subdued uh, my dad uh, and he surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to go into a little bit of his testimony and kind of my relationship with him. Um, you know, in times past, we've discussed the importance of household salvation. Um, and I brought up, you know, the passage of Scripture in the book of Acts where Paul and Silas are in prison. It's midnight. They're beaten, they're bruised, they're bloodied, uh, and they decide to pray and to sing praises and worship God uh, in that terrible predicament. And apparently, you know, those prayers reached heaven, those praises reached heaven, and God came and He showed up and He showed off and He shook that prison to the core. Uh, Chains fell off the prisoners, you know, prison doors flew open. Of course, the warden is freaking out. His life is on the line if any of those prisoner uh, prisoners escape. And so Paul assures them, all is well, we're all here, uh, don't be worried. And of course, the guy comes running, falls down on his knees and just pleads with the apostle Paul, you know, what must I do to be saved? And uh, Paul assures him, you and your household shall be saved. And as I've shared in times past, you know, at the American Reformation Church, we're very conscientious and deliberate about uh, pursuing men, you know, young men, men in general, um, simply because, I mean, the statistics are in. We, we know it biblically, but we also know it scientifically that when, let's say, a child comes to saving grace and faith of Jesus Christ, yep, there's a few of the siblings, perhaps other family members that will follow. It's minimal, but it does happen. Uh, and, of course, if the wife and the mother comes to faith in Christ and surrenders to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, yeah, there are some that follow her and, uh, and do the same. Uh, but the stats are extremely high when it comes to the father. 
uh, there's something about uh, men, husbands, fathers, when they humble themselves and repent of their sin and put their faith and trust in Christ, uh, the majority of the family uh, follows in his footsteps. Um, there's a, a story uh, about Robert E. Lee during the Civil War. It was a cold, uh, brisk evening. Uh, there was snow on the ground, and he's talking to one of his subordinates, um, getting a report on how goes the war, and they're marching through the snow. And uh, as they're marching, the subordinate uh, taps Robert E. Lee on the shoulder and says, General, uh, there's your son. He's literally following in the footprints that you're leaving in the snow. And when General Lee sees that, he turns to his subordinate and says, Well, I guess I better walk straight, strong, and true. And believe me, the father uh, carries a lot of weight uh, when it comes to the family and when it comes to the future of his children. Um, the scriptures are very clear on this. It's not the sins of the mother. It's not the sins of the church. It's not the sins of the state that are passed to the children. It's the sins of the father. God never calls the vulnerable children orphans, never calls them the motherless, churchless, or stateless, always calls them the fatherless. And we know in this generation there is a deep, deep father wound and father hurt. So at American Reformation Church, we're constantly praying, God, turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the children's hearts to their fathers. And uh, which kind of leads right into this testimony about my dad. Now, to tell you a little bit something about my dad, uh, if you looked at the scriptures where it talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, my dad could be the poster child uh, for that passage of scripture. He exemplified that to the max. Uh, he was an alcoholic, heavy smoker. He was a gambler. He was a, a womanizer. And when I say he was hardcore, I mean, there were times, honestly, I didn't think he was human. He was the kind of guy that when his gums went bad, um, he would, sh you know, just shoot back whiskey and with pliers, literally pull the teeth out of his head. Uh, that, he, that He was that kind of guy. Um, you know, he, he was a construction worker. And, uh, you know, he, he had fallen so many times off of roofs and ladders, busted his back. And I would see him, like, crawl out of bed and knowing he was in serious pain and... And he was a workaholic, man. He'd get down with those young bucks and he'd show them, you know, how to work and work hard. He did have, to his credit, a strong work ethic. Um, but unfortunately, he gambled it most, mostly away, you know, hanging out at the bars with the gang, you know, things of that nature. And so 
you know, he was, besides all that, he was an ex-Marine, um, and um, he, uh, he was an atheist. And so I was pretty much raised by a hardcore Marine atheist, and being the firstborn son of a hardcore Marine atheist, uh, God help you if you show any weakness and you dare not cry. You better suck it up. You better get over it, and you better continue on. Um, you know, it was the huya, you know, he was a Marine and he wouldn't tolerate, uh, weakness in his son. And, and in some ways it was, it was him that served as the incentive where I grew up in Bridgeport, Connecticut, you know, 90% of my neighborhood was black and Puerto Rican. And so it kind of worked to my advantage because I feared my dad more than I feared uh, the gangs on the street. And that gave me the inspiration to fight and to overcome and survive uh, the mean streets of Bridgeport, Connecticut. So anyway, you know, I, I loved my dad. I feared him, like maximally feared him. He just had to look at me, say a few words, and I'd want to go to, you know, the bathroom in my pants. I mean, it was that kind of fear of him. Um, I'll tell you a lot of stories along those lines, but I don't want to go uh, down those rabbit holes. But, you know, I, like all sons, you know, uh, I, I desired uh, really to connect with my dad. But he, you know, he was sort of an outline of a man, um, you know, He'd, he'd, he'd be in our home uh, somewhat, um, but it was clear that he prized more the alcohol and his gang and women and gambling much more uh, than my mother and us as children. Um, and so, you know, we grew up in a very dysfunctional home, an atheistic home, uh, a lot of violence a lot of anger, a lot of rage, um, and um, yeah, I, I learned my lessons very, very well uh, growing up in that environment, um, and so it came to everyone's shock when I was 16 years old um, going to New Hampshire to beat somebody up who impregnated my cousin, and I came back a new creation in Christ. I had run smack dab into the living God. And so I went to New Hampshire one way, you know, a pagan, atheistic young man, you know, full of drugs and alcohol, demons, and, you know, just taking on the traits of my father and, uh, and you know, pursuing what he uh, thought was a man, you know, I, I can remember when I was young, you know, seven years old, he sat me down, he gave me a shot of booze, put a cigarette in my mouth, talked explicitly about women and conquering women and satisfying your lust, and this is what it means to be a man. Um, of course, it wasn't till I met my Heavenly Father um, and the work of His Holy Spirit in my raw heart that I learned what it meant to be a true man. And uh, so grateful. Uh, Heavenly Father had pity on me and corrected all the, uh, <laughs> the, 
the misteachings or the false teachings of my earthly father. Um, but anyway, you know, I came home. Uh, I had met the living God. I was on fire. Now, of course, I'm coming home to a dad who's a hardcore marine atheist. I will say to his credit, uh, he did prize truths for some reason. He didn't like to be lied to. And um, and believe me, he left uh, an impression upon me because I lied at school one time. Uh, he beat me so bad that I couldn't go to school for like two weeks. Like he whipped me with a garrison belt. I was black and blue all over my body. My my mom literally had to jump on him uh, and put her nails into his neck to rip him from me. Um, and so I, I've always been a bad liar. <laughs> you know, I just that that really left a very strong impression upon me as a boy. Uh, do not lie. Um, and my dad was adamant about that. And that was the beginning of his dilemma because, you know, he had trained me, you know, sometimes viciously uh, never to lie. And so here's, here's the deal. I had met the way, the life, and the truth. I met the person of truth. Uh, I had come to the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. He blasted me out of the mountain of paganism, and he brought me into the kingdom of his dear son. I had met the living God, and, what I, and I, when I tell you I was on fire, oh, 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 man, I came back home on fire because I had met the true and living God. Well, that was just the beginning of my woes, <laughs> because when I get back home, again, I'm coming home to a father who's a hardcore marine atheist and my gang that I ran with. And, uh, of course, we partied and we fought and we stole and we did all the things that gangs do. And, and, um, and so I remember, like, coming back home and telling everybody, I met God. He's real. He, you know, he's not he's not some stained glass window. He's not some icon on the wall. He's really alive. He's a person. I met him. It's true. It's true. It's not some religious fairy tale. And I, I'm just like anything that didn't move, I'm telling them about Jesus. And of course, you know, I, I leave a pagan, like atheist, and I come back, you know, a, a week or two later, and man, I am on fire you know, for the Lord. Well, my dad kind of put up with that for like maybe a day and a half, maybe two days the most. And then finally he had it. And he literally like put his hands around my neck and began to choke me to death. And he said, son, if you mention his name one more time in this house, I will kill you. Now, let me tell you something about my dad. Um, when he said something, you could pretty much take it to the bank. He meant it. He wasn't one for idle words. He was a man who spoke directly, and he meant every word that he said. And so here I am. I am just full of the Lord. I, I had met him. I, I know he's real. I know he's alive. Uh, he has touched me powerfully by his grace and by his Holy Spirit. And so now my father is threatening to murder me 
if I share Christ in the home, and of course my gang, they're looking at me. Oh man, like Rusty, he, he's he's burnt out. He he's done too many drugs, man. He's like now under religious, you know, delusions and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, I came back and uh, that was my welcome home party, um, and so I was, you know, seriously on fire for the Lord. But in a matter of a week or so, man, the enemy just came and and with his, uh, you know, polluted waters just quenched uh, the fire that was burning in my soul, and um, and it was, you know, it was on. It, it, the battle was was on, and um, and in some ways, I kind of went through more hell um, after I got saved than before I got saved. And it was probably um, five or six years after I got saved that the Lord, um, in His faithfulness, you know, tracked me down. I. I kind of walked away from him, but he he never he never gave up on me. He never walked away from me, and and he he did what he needed to do to draw me back. And uh, that that's a whole long story. But anyway, I'm I'm just kind of leading up to like what my relationship with my dad was like, and and you know again I I loved him, and and once I had met the Lord, and I knew it was real. And I knew he was he was hell bound. I mean, there was no doubt about it. My dad, my mom, my my brothers and sisters, and uh, my family, because I was the I was the first one saved on both sides of my family. And I don't know for how long, but you know, God decided I was going to be the chain breaker. And and then through that, you know, of course, I had. Uh, 13 children of my my own that's a whole new branch a whole new breed and uh, I thank the Lord for that heritage but I really desired uh, my dad to come to know the Lord and through the years we had serious wrestling matches uh, with his soul and anytime I brought up God and I don't know I, I think he would always bring up you know being in the Marines you know, going to war and the Korean War, um, you know, his his stumbling point was, you know, if there's a God, you know, how can these atrocities, you know, happen in the world? It's, you know, the whole classical, why the bad things happen to good people. And, you know, there's Christian responses to all that. But it was a real stumbling block in his soul uh, when it comes to uh, faith and Christ and salvation and but I would still you know on occasion like challenge him and there was most of the time he would explode in anger it, it wasn't like the first time when he tried to kill me uh, but he would get very very upset whenever I brought up the Lord to him and as I you know began to grow in my relationship with God and draw closer to Him, the more um, I had this burden, you know, from my dad, you know, and and honestly, it was like it was it was like Mission Impossible. I mean, he was so entrenched uh, in his sinful nature; it, it was massive. I mean, it was massive. And I, I could remember, like, being so desperate 
for God to save him. That I remember one time I prayed, I said, Lord, listen, if it takes my death to wake him up, to, to crush his pride, you know, that he would see his need for a savior, then I said, God, please take my life. Please take my life. I want to see my dad saved. And I could remember the Lord just impressed upon me, hey, I don't need your death, son. I need your life. Somebody already else died for your dad. And, you know, that's just how the Lord, you know, deals. I mean, he obviously he understood the commitment of my soul, my love for my dad and wanting him saved. But obviously uh, my death means nothing in the grand scheme of things. But the crucifixion, the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ makes all the difference in the world. But I just wanted to give you like a an understanding, like how much not only I wrestled with my dad, my earthly dad, but I also wrestled with my heavenly father, wanting him so much to bend his knee and bend his will and surrender to the Lordship of Christ. And so this went on for many, many years. And I do remember there, there was one time when I was passing through Florida, where I am now, and we had a conversation. And it was the first time I could remember we had a conversation about the Lord, about the gospel, and he didn't manifest. He didn't get angry with me. I mean, he still struggled, but for the first time, his ears were open. He was listening. And I thought, wow, that's strange. Because I knew anytime I'm going to bring up this subject, I don't know what I'm going to get. I don't know if he's going to want to hit me, choke me, or just yell at me. Um, it, it was that kind of a strained relationship when it came to the gospel between me, my father and I. And so anyway, this went on, and there's, there's a lot more to this story about my dad, but uh, it ends up I'm with a New Life Drama Company, and we're, you know, we're traveling. We, we, we minister in churches, fairs, on the streets, jails, you know, coffee houses. And so we happened to be in uh, St. Petersburg, Florida, doing a coffee house. And I contacted my dad and I said, Dad, listen, I'm your firstborn son. You, you really don't know, like, like what I do. What do I do with my life, you know? Um, and I, I told him, I said, I, I really want you to come and check me out. And I'm going to be with a drama team. We're going to be ministering at a coffee house in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I, you know, I'm only going to be in for a little while. Please, Dad, come check out your son. See what I do. And of course, that was my way of hoping to try to get the gospel to him some way, you know. And lo and behold, he takes me up on that offer. But boy, oh boy. When he showed up, like we were right in the midst of ministering at this coffee house and Spirit of God is moving and, you know, it, it's, a, it's a really good time of ministry. And all of a sudden, like halfway through the ministry, the door swings wide and just slams against the wall. 
and here comes my dad, drunk as a skunk, okay? And he is just being obnoxious, just bodacious, you know, like this grand entrance, you know? <laughs> and so here I am, I'm his son, I'm on stage, here comes my dad, you know? And it's, it's a scene, it's a huge scene. And he slams the door and he, you know, staggers over and he sits down and, and, you know, he's looking around and I'm looking at him and I'm trying to minister. And it's just, you know, a wild, wild scene that's going on here. And so he stays for maybe a couple of minutes and all of a sudden he says, I'm out of here. And just as he came in, he went out and he slammed the door. I, I didn't get a chance to talk to him, didn't get a chance to minister to him. And we had to leave like right after that. And so a couple of weeks later, after that incident, we talk. And I said, Dad, what's up? What the heck? What did you do? Why did you... You know, what was the whole big scene about? He goes, well, I'll tell you what's it all about. He said, I went into that coffee house. Yeah, I was drunk. He said, but when I sat down and I looked around and I looked into people's eyes, this is exactly what he told me. He says, I looked into their eyes and I saw the kingdom of God and I knew I wasn't in and it ticked me off. He didn't quite use those words, but you understand what I'm saying. It just ticked him off that he wasn't a part of the kingdom of God. And that's why he left in such a rush and why he slammed the door. And I thought, whoa, that's interesting. Okay. And then he proceeds to tell me what happened after I left, after he was very upset he wasn't in the kingdom of God. Well, he had a birthday coming up shortly after that. And for my dad, it's like a national holiday. You know, he's the big spender. You know, he's going to have the gang and the bar. And, you know, he's going to just go all out. The drinks are on me kind of thing, you know. And uh, he's the big man. He's the big spender. And uh, so anyway... Um, and, and one thing you need to know also about this testimony of my dad, which is, again, so miraculous. Um, when he was younger, he saved his younger brother from a chemical fire in a building, and it burned out his ability to smell and to taste. And that was always terrible for me. Um, with, with my dad and my mom, they were married 18 years, had about 13 separations, and the times I went with my dad because he couldn't taste and smell, he would just go into the pantry, get all kinds of canned goods, mix it all together, put it on the pot, heat it up, and, you know, serve me. And it was like as nasty as could possibly be. But for him, he, didn't, he couldn't taste, so he just gobbled it up, you know what I mean? But for me, it was like torment. Uh, but anyway, uh, this plays heavily into how he came to faith um, in Christ. So he goes to the bar on his birthday, and, uh, and of course, he orders a shot of whiskey, you know, to celebrate his birthday. Well, he takes the shot to his lips, shoots it back, 
And for the first time since he was a little boy, he actually tasted the whiskey. And it's foul. And he spits it out. When he spits it out, he hears a voice. And the voice said, that's enough. So he's thinking, what in the world is going on here? So he's checking out the bartender, his friends, his gang. And he's thinking he's being pranked. It freaks him out so much, he goes into the bathroom and he's pacing back and forth in the bathroom, trying to collect himself, wondering what in the world just happened. For the first time in many years, I'm tasting, it's foul, and I'm hearing voices. So he goes back to try it again. Well, he, he goes back and he orders another shot and you might as well put it on repeat because... He brings that shot of whiskey to his lips, shoots it back, and again, it is foul. He spits it out, and now the voice is more adamant and louder. And the voice said, I said, that's enough. And when he hears that, he is seriously freaked out. So he told me he literally was looking around under the bar to see if there was wires and speakers because he thought the gang was just pranking him. Well, he again, he gets like seriously angry. He curses them, you know, F you, you, yeah. And he just, you know, like just a string of curses and vulgarity. He's just hurling at all his friends because he thinks that, you know, they're pranking him. And so, again, he leaves in a huff, and he slams the door. And I said, well, Dad, what happened? After that, he goes, I'll tell you what happened. He said, son, I, I was driving home, and the only thing I knew is I got to clean house. I got to go home and clean house, literally, like, physically clean it and spiritually clean it. So as soon as he get ho gets home, he, he burns up all his pornography uh, he, he takes the whiskey and flushes it down the toilet. Uh, he he uh, uh, gets rid of all of his cigarettes except for one pack of Cools. Um, he, he, spoke, he smoked three packs of Cools a day, if you can remember that cigarette. My goodness. I mean, the guy was a chain smoker, all right, and smoking Cools, all right? So he's burning his pornography, the booze is going down the toilet. He he burned uh, a pound of weed, of marijuana, uh, tore up cartons of cigarettes, and he went to bed. And I said, well, man, well, now, you know, he's, he's got my full attention. I'm going, my goodness, what's going on, Dad? What's happening? And he said, well, son, all I could tell you, the next morning I woke up and he was in his birthday suit, naked as when he came into this world. And he got up out of the bed, he stood up, and this was his prayer. He said, for 49 years I lived my way, my life, my way. And all I could tell you, God, is I'm yours. I'm yours. And that was his prayer. And let me tell you, God heard that prayer. 
And so the Lord, like, gloriously saves him, like, radically changes his life. I ended up pastoring him. And by the way, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> don't pastor your dad. Okay, because, you know, we had the, you know, the human hierarchy. He's still my dad, and I was the son, but I was light years ahead of him spiritually and in the Word. Um, so it, I was walking a tightrope trying to pastor him, but he actually uh, joined us in the battle. He rescued with us. We went to jail together. We had some great times together serving the Lord. And, and in fact, our, our testimony uh, became front-page news. Um, they had a picture of my dad and I and and what the Lord ended up doing. My dad was so gifted with his hands. I mean, if you gave him a blueprint, he could build you a skyscraper. I mean, honestly, the guy was just phenomenal. Uh, he could just build or fix anything. Um, just He just had that, that gift. And uh, so what he did with the rest of his life as he took those skills and he just traveled from place to place and he helped the widow and he helped the orphan and then when, whenever there was run down churches or run down you know parachurch ministries he would use their skills to repair you know their homes their buildings whatever it was and all he asked was you know can you feed me and you know, put a little gas in my tank so I can go and uh, serve others. Now, I'm, I'm sharing this, brothers and sisters, because I am sure you have loved ones, loved ones that you deeply care about. I loved my dad so much, and I, and I, I wanted so much to connect with him. You know, and I think every son desires that with their dad. It is so hard. The enemy attacks that relationship unrelentlessly. I mean, relentlessly, I should say. Um, you know, my dad had a terrible, terrible relationship with his father. He hated him, like, really bad. You know, so, you know, like, my grandfather didn't know how to love him, and my father didn't know how to love me, you know. And there just seems to be a, a real difficult situation for sons and fathers to connect on a, an emotional and spiritual plane, you know. And even though the son may long for it, you know, so many times fathers are not able to connect, not able to give, because most of the time they don't have anything along those lines to give. But I wrestled long and hard and it was sort of hope against hope he was so hardcore it looked seriously like impossible i was so desperate so desperate i so wanted him to bow his knee and confess with his mouth that jesus christ was lord and believe in his heart that he was raised from the dead and just when i think like there's no way it's over man God did the miraculous. I mean, he answered my prayers. And, and you know, who could script this, right? Who could script this? Like, this is how I'm going to answer your prayers and how your father is going to surrender to me. 
and give me his life and serve me for the rest of his days. But that's how it happened, brothers and sisters. And I want to use this time to encourage you when it comes to maybe you're a parent and you got a prodigal or prodigals out there that you raised in the fear and the admonition of the Lord and they've defected. You may have a spouse that you're struggling with. You're saved. You're, you're walking with the Lord. You go to church and they refuse. You know, you may be a, a young person like I was, and you really love your dad, you really love your mom, and you have tasted and you know the Lord is good and that goodness led you to repentance and you want that for your family members. I just pray what I shared with you would be an encouragement to you, that it would inspire you. Listen, there is nothing impossible with God. All things are possible to them that believe. God says, is there anything too difficult for me? And in my life, I've seen God do the impossible. Hope against hope, he has come through. And so, brothers and sisters, if you have loved ones, don't despair. Keep crying out to God. Keep wrestling with your loved one. Keep wrestling with the Lord. Yeah, you may come away with a limp, but I'm not letting go until you save my loved ones, God. Keep pressing on, brothers and sisters, to that high calling prize in Jesus' name. Until next time, God bless you.